This is Tom Fox, and I would like to welcome you to the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Readings and Felicitations. In this podcast series, I'm going to be visiting with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, historians, and a wide variety of other people on topics that are outside the area of compliance, but are of great interest to myself and to listeners to the Compliance Podcast Network. I welcome back Dr. Ben Lockman, who discusses with me the current state of the global COVID-19 pandemic, where we have been, and where we might be going. I know you will enjoy it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today, I have back with me Dr. Ben Lockman, and we are going to catch up, uh, I think, a little bit, uh, hopefully, and then maybe look down the road of where we are with uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, and the Delta variant. Ben, first of all, uh, thank you uh, for taking the time to visit with me today. Yeah, hello, Tom. It's nice to be back and see you again and hear from you. I hope uh, you've enjoyed your summer and the trailing proportion of summer that we're still in. Well, that's interesting because this has been the coolest summer on record in the state of Texas. We did not have uh, one day over 100 where I live. It's now pleasantly in the mid-70s to mid-80s, uh, which is November weather for us. So uh, I have the leaves started to change in your part of the world. Yeah, so I'm in the Boston area, and we've got just the very, very first few that are sort of suggesting they may change. It's not really underway yet, but um, yeah, it sounds like global cooling in your area. We had a very rainy summer in the Northeast, too. A lot more rain than we almost ever have had. And I guess, you know, summertime fact to warm us up for the chat here. So in the Northern Hemisphere... Our summer includes the period at which the Earth is at its farthest point from the sun in its orbit, and that's the aphelion. And so that's 94.5 million miles from the sun, and when it's closest, uh, that's the winter time for us in the Northern Hemisphere, and that's 91.5 million miles. So um, we're actually almost farthest away right now from the sun um, in case any of the listeners thought about uh, the, er, the, the summertime occurring because we were at a closest point of orbit to the sun. But with fall starting, what, next week, 22nd of September, 23rd of September, that includes the equinox, and with fall and winter brings us cold and flu season. So I know you didn't want to talk astrophysics today, but let's talk about viruses well, the vernal equinox, and I got a text from CVS Pharmacy reminding me to get my flu shot. So it's all connected. Right. Apparently. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Uh, so we're recording, we're recording this in uh, mid-September. So Ben, could you give us maybe your assessment of where we are in the COVID-19 Delta variant uh, status, and then perhaps transition over to your current thoughts on uh, vaccination and particularly the booster? Yeah, Sure. So we've, in the United States, given about 383 million doses of COVID-19 vaccine to date. Uh, Now, you know that with Moderna and with Pfizer-BioNTech, those are two-dose regimens, and the Janssen vaccine uh, is a single dose. 
So then you've got a separate statistic, which is, all right, so that's individual doses given. How many people are considered fully vaccinated, fully immunized, really? And that's about 180 million. So 55% of the United States is considered to be fully immunized. But um, yeah, as you said, the, the question really is about what does the media have to say to all of us about Delta variant? Should we worry about it? And I guess I would say, let's think about it in terms of healthcare economics. And without going into a deep rabbit hole there, as the saying goes in virology, variants going to vary. So the news media has been vociferously captivated by headlines of their own making about Delta and how it apparently came from Krypton. But even though that's dominated the headlines for a while, several weeks now, We've been quietly tracking other variants of interest and variants of concern. So it's, you know, beyond Delta, went to Greek nomenclature earlier this year. So right now we have other VOIs, which are variants of interest that are kind of more interesting than Delta. And those include Eta, Iota, Kappa, Lambda, and Mu. Uh, the Mu variant, which is an interesting one, is B, B1621. That one... Uh, it really only accounts for about 0.1% of cases in the U.S. right now. Um, that one is one that actually popped up uh, in uh, January of this year. And it's one that came, it seemingly came out of Colombia and South America. And so I think that's the one that will start grabbing some more headlines. But again, that's really only uh, about one in a thousand cases at the moment. But you know, back to your question. Yeah, there's, there is Delta. And, you know, more importantly, we're always going to see variants of interest and variants of concern. So um, I guess it depends where you want to go next with the discussion. Well, I'm sure our Greek audience and, and our former frat rat audience uh, will now be able to appreciate their learning the Greek alphabet. But the, uh, you started off talking about <laughs> the healthcare economics. What do you see really from the economic side in terms of a, a cost-benefit analysis, or is there another analysis you health futurists use around healthcare economics? That's a really good and interesting question. It's, it's one of these things where in healthcare economics, a couple major indices are QALY and DALY. And those acronyms stand for Quality Adjusted Life Years or Disability Adjusted Life Years. And those suggest, they're suggestive of situations where people are maybe more infirmed, but how many years or how much remaining time is left and subjectively, qualitatively, what level of quality is that remaining time? So even though you may gain an additional few years of life, is it high quality, low quality? But, you know, just looking at economic indices as far as healthcare economics, you know, we had a, a major economic downturn globally. Um, at the start, Q1 of 2020, obviously, because of COVID, we've seen it slowly ratchet back up um, to now the Dow Jones has a volume over 34,000, maybe 35-ish thousand as we speak now. Um, and, you know, all the other global indices, so the Nikkei Index and Shanghai and Italy, FTSE, those more or less tracked consistently with what the Dow is, is doing. And, you know, we got, I think, a, a supportive blip in the Dow Jones when the vaccines became 
uh, authorized for use via EUA. And then, of course, in May, when uh, the suggestion came from CDC that masks wouldn't be required, there was certainly a, a consumer confidence uh, boost there. So uh, I have to take a short digression. You mentioned the news media and their theory that uh, the Delta variant or perhaps one of the other Greek letter variants came from Krypton. So that really leads me to ask, are you an MCU person or more of a retro DC kind of comics guy? I don't know. I, I guess now with how much uh, Marvel we've seen in, in film, that's probably taken up more of my time. I think I've identified maybe more in the past with some DC characters. How's that for a, a little bit of do both? Uh, fair enough. Uh, I grew up, uh, uh, when I was very young, I lived with my grandparents and my grandfather collected comics and he was a huge DC fan. So in the 60s, I became a huge DC fan and that stayed with me really until uh, sort of the middle of the MCU wave and I've tilted a little bit, but I'm still a classic comic collector, largely around uh, the DC universe because that's the one I'm most comfortable with. But in terms of the economics going forward, uh, I really wanted to, to see uh, what are you seeing companies do? We've had some very public corporations take steps. Uh, Delta Airlines is one of the most public where they um, encouraged employees to get vaccinated and it said if they didn't, there would be a health insurance supplement per employee who was not vaccinated. There have been various other uh, steps, both carrots and sticks. Uh, have you seen uh, anything that really intrigued you, or is that an approach that uh, perhaps unfortunately as a virologist you've had to see used in other situations? Yeah, I've seen a lot of that being used. There are also the NPIs, the non-pharmaceutical interventions that still are effective, distancing, ventilation, mask use. Uh, but as people have have broken away more and more from masking, been less concerned with distancing, it becomes more incumbent upon people to be immunized. So I think that's where really a lot of this has come from. You know, the question about, and this could go any number of directions, but whether or not vaccine passports are a good idea or a terrible idea. Um, I think workplaces are trying to do what they can to show to the public that they're managing their internal risks for their actuaries, but also that they're managing their organizations most responsibly for the consumers. So consumers won't be hesitant to fly on a particular airline or go into a particular coffee shop or other retail outlet because there won't be masks or there won't be immunizations there. So I think a lot of it has to do with optics. And, you know, I think the flip side of that is getting beyond the pandemic requires Systemic changes to our philosophy on this. You know, if we always do what we always did, then we always will get what we always got, as the saying goes. So it's not only the more vaccinations, you know, and, and carrot and stick, typically, right, the carrots work better, but not everybody responds to the carrot, but it's also the media cutting out the fear response cycles, which is a major substantive factor in drawing this out. Uh, it would be nice to say that the science is evolving and has evolved and operates in isolation from the media and social media panic, but that's not true. So I think, you know, if I distill that down, you know, what I mean by that is a lot of this is 
continued panic driven by the media about Delta, about then the next variants, mu variant, and people will continue to be worried, even though, let's say, in objective fact, we may get to the point where they shouldn't necessarily be as worried anymore. So I think there's a bit of panic that isn't scientifically suggested. Uh, and I guess, yeah, from there we get to the booster discussion, which is, do you do the boosters? Now, the White House administration, as you know, has been pushing for premature boosters to the public. And I say premature because the science really isn't clear, and it probably is suggestive of no, not yet, because we haven't lost efficacy and effectiveness in the current vaccines. And the White House pushing for boosters prematurely has actually led to two of Peter Marx's guys in the FDA being uh, resigning basically their posts. And Peter Marx is the head of CBER, so they do biologics and vaccine approvals. So two of his senior guys who do vaccines, they uh, have left as a result of the White House not listening to science. Uh, so, you know, there's, it's interesting there. And, and so I guess I would also couch that in, well, then you have the people who haven't even vaccinated and, sh and, and is it safe for workplaces to mandate it? And I would say the best info we have still comes from the clinical trials and then the real world effectiveness. There was an analysis, uh, of 38 states and DC done. And, and it showed that unvaccinated Americans in those states were five times more likely than the vaccinated people to be hospitalized with COVID-19 and eight times more likely to die. And CDC uh, looked at data between May 1st this year and July 25th. So May, June, and almost all of July, three months. And it was for Los Angeles County and unvaccinated residents were 29 times more likely to be hospitalized by COVID-19 than their fully vaccinated counterparts. So social media pockets in echo chambers have kind of taken to the, you know, the flip side as they always do of, oh, well, we're not sure these vaccines are safe and let's cast continued doubt when there's really not continued doubt in the, the mind, the collective mind of the scientific community. So, uh, you know, ultimately it does make sense. And what I've seen a bit more now and we'll, what will come more and more out in the news is there's an abuse of religious exemptions for getting the COVID-19 vaccines because that's still allowed. So uh, let me pivot a little bit to uh, a related topic, and that's the delivery of healthcare services. Uh, I'm in a state where uh, a bed percentage uh, ER, uh, excuse me, ICU bed percentage is quite high. There are other states in the Deep South that also have that problem. Uh, we hear stories of people who can't get either extraordinary or even routine services uh, because of the uh, paucity of, of beds. Uh, my mother-in-law spent three days in an ER waiting for an ICU bed to open up for her condition and uh, has that really led to a dialogue you are a part of or been aware of about our delivery of health service mechanism in the United States? Are healthcare services too localized or are they designed, are they fit for purpose now? They're just, you're going to get overwhelmed at times. Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky question. So we do have lots of those discussions. And unfortunately, then a lot of those 
either aren't collected and collated up to a higher level for a larger, broader discussion, or they're so regionally distinct and specific that it sort of makes talking about, let's say, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, things that are happening in Cheyenne, Wyoming, less uh, effective in terms of something you couldn't just put into place, you know, uh, plug and play from one area to another. And so the disparities, you know, unfortunately existing as disparities unto themselves, it becomes this kind of vicious cycle where then those individual circumstances are hard to port to anywhere else to resolve. So then there's not a collective answer really, unless you kind of centralize everything, which would be, I mean, at this point, very difficult to do across the country, although, you know, there are avenues where we could improve it. I think hospitals have always run that fine margin between when there is surge demand, they need to be able to have enough staff to tend to it so there's not a paucity of beds. And at the same time, when there isn't surge demand and you've got more, let's say, level, stable, lower demand troughs in your demand curve, uh, now you've got hospital staff, support staff, administrative staff, and providers, of course, who aren't being fully utilized. So then it becomes a balance of how do you level load the schedule when, you, you know, by its very nature, the emergency department is what emergent circumstances are popping up emergently. So difficult to plan for, especially when We've seen huge swings in demand with COVID cases. And then, of course, when beds are taken up with COVID-19 cases, that's facilities and resource that's unavailable for non-COVID uh, triage, non-emergent care situations. So uh, as we move into the autumn of 2021 and uh, uh, the winter of 2021 and 2022, you started out or uh, we started this podcast with a, a mention of flu season. Is there uh, any concern about the upcoming flu season, uh, and wh whether or not it might interact, intersect rather, uh, with COVID or any of the variants, or uh, do they really stand alone on their each levels of concern? Yeah, they're, they're sort of disparate concerns, but they're not disparate operating in isolation. So as the saying goes, nature abhors a vacuum, and these things don't work in a vacuum. So if you are compromised, due to a prior COVID infection or compromised from an influenza infection, then you leave the door open for other adventitious organisms to maybe take root and cause you more significant concern. So generally the recommendation is get your flu shot, which is something we say every fall and winter. Flu season tends to be September-ish, more into October, and then carries through March into April. So it's about sort of that bottom half of the year from a calendar view into the top half. Um, you know, flu tends to cause between about 5,000 and 45,000 deaths in the United States alone every year during cold and flu season. And so that's not nothing. Now, the flu shots uh, tend to be trivalent or quadrivalent now, so they cover three or four different strains. Um, and there is development currently by several of the larger manufacturers to put a combination flu shot in with a COVID-19 shot. So it could even be that towards the end of the year, what will be ready uh, for, for public consumption is 
uh, a combined flu and COVID vaccination, which could be a booster plus the flu shot. Um, and then again, of course, you know, as influenza continues to mutate, that's why we get different shots every fall. We'll continue to see these other variants pop up that I mentioned. You know, soon the listeners will see these, hear these in the news. Um, and basically that'll continue. It always does because, as I said at the beginning, variants vary. That's what they do. So variants arise when new people, naive people, get an infection. The virus replicates, and that gives it new opportunities to mutate in a person and form new variants. So basically by immunizing people, breaking that chain, we reduce the virus's uh, opportunity to replicate and create new variants. Um, and then when we're tracking these, so whether or not you hear about something next is sort of up to the media's appetite, but there's sort of three things we look at. Number one, if a new variant suddenly is more contagious and spreads more readily, um, that's what's going on with Delta. It's very much more transmissible than the first few variants. Um, the second issue is, does it produce more severe disease? So when we see cases come in with, let's say, uh, COVID-19 of a new variant, are they more severe, maybe moving quicker from minor to moderate to severe in its presentation of symptoms? Um, and then thirdly, number three, does it have a composition so that it can evade uh, the vaccines that we have. So when the virus looks different enough from what was built into the vaccines, then the vaccines won't be able to train our bodies to the degree to be able to detect a different enough variant. Now, we're not there yet, but there's no reason to believe that won't happen. So that's when the boosters would become uh, more imperative, will be when the, when the viruses look different enough and at the same time, over time, the effectiveness of the vaccines decays. But that's suggested to be between about one and three years. So I would say boostering right now looks like maybe 18 plus months in uh, seems to be worthwhile. And that debate still rages on. Well, Ben, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But I wanted to thank you for taking the time to check in, visit with me and Kind of bring us up to speed where we are and where we may be down the road. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it, Tom. Take care. Stay safe. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. I'd also invite you to listen to one of the newest podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network, Effing Argentina. Are you exasperated with the current state of American life, overwhelmed, overtired, overworked, over cell phone? Well, this is the podcast series for you where, along with author Greg Greenberg, we take a look at, well, exasperation in 11 stories that Greg published under the book title, Effing Argentina. So check that out on the Compliance Podcast Network. It's also available on YouTube.